are in Colossians chapter 4. Um, let me just kind of give you some, you know, an introduction again to this book. Paul has never been to this city of Coloss or Colossae, however you want to say it. He hasn't been there. Uh, a guy Paul invested and spent time with, his name was Epaphras, uh, he essentially planted this church, and he was just a normal guy. He wasn't an apostle, per se. He was just a guy who Jesus radically grabbed hold of his life. He went to this city and actually a couple other surrounding cities, we'll look at that next week, and just preached the gospel, and people got saved, and they started gathering together to learn more about the person of Jesus and worship Jesus, and a lot of them came out of a Greek or Roman kind of empire background and mindset. Some were Jewish, and so this church is being formed, and there's a lot of growing pains. Uh, whenever you have a church growing together, there's a lot of growing pains. There's a lot of issues that need to be encouraged and loved on, but also addressed. And, and Paul is basically doing that. And if, if I love this about Paul's New Testament epistle, short epistle kind of books, is he's basically saying, let me tell you who Jesus is, and let me tell you who you are in light of who Jesus is. And he just has a high view of Jesus, obviously. He's saying he's the firstborn over all creation. He, he's the prototokos. He's the priority over it all. All things were created by him and for him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. He just has such a high view of Jesus. And he says, now you, you who were once in sin, you who were once anti-God, he's now reconciled. He brought you in. And, and so Paul's basically built this argument of your, your view of Jesus is high, but it's probably not high enough. And that goes for myself. We, we can say, Jesus, your Lord, Jesus, your God. But even when it comes to now functionality of that, you might have a high view of Jesus, but is he functioning as your Lord, as your God in every way, in every capacity? And there's this challenge to like have a higher view of Jesus and know who you are. Your identity is primarily in Christ. That We have this common identity. The thing that we are known for more than anything is I am in Jesus. You are in Jesus. The old things have passed away, all things become new. There's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. He's just saying the cross is this great equalizer. We're all guilty and we're all made righteous by Jesus. And so in chapter three, he's basically saying Christ is your life and he's going to appear. And if you have that hope and if you believe in him, you will appear with him in glory. And now in light of that, here's how you live. And so we've been kind of walking through this new identity and how you, to put on Christ, to put off the old man in chapter three, put on Jesus, clothe yourself with Jesus, wake up, you know, and start your day off by saying, I'm going to take off Josiah clothing, and put on Jesus clothing or whatever your name is, uh, not my clothing, but you're going to do that, put on Jesus. And then he walks and we, we saw last week and Nate did a great job and I was laughing with him after. I'm like, dude, I don't know why I don't purposely give you texts that are tough, but thank you for dealing with, you know, the slavery, husband, wife passage, all that, you know, fun stuff. Um, but just the idea of like now in light of that, here's how this affects your relationships. Here's how this affects your day-to-day -day life. And here's where we're going to get to now in these few verses. Uh, in the few verses, he's really, think about this, he's kind of been moving from Jesus to you, being reconciled, new identity, how you relate to your family, your, your work, your boss. And now he's just talking about outsiders, essentially. He, he's really primarily dealing with, in our text today, the tongue. How we talk to God and how we talk to others. How we talk to God, how we address God and how we address other people's. So the title today is simply how to talk. And I have probably no right to <laughs> title message how to talk. Sometimes I do feel like, how to talk? Like, I don't know, I just, uh, but we're gonna talk about how, how do we talk to God? He deals with prayer and then how you communicate with the outside world and the, the outside world's perception of you. And how do you walk and how do you communicate? And so um, I wanna look at that. I, I do think it's enough for us to slow down and be like, man, our tongue is important, obviously. It's incredibly important. And so I think it's worth us slowing down and viewing the perspective from the vertical and horizontal of our tongue, of how we talk with God, uh, what is it we're praying about, how do we talk to others, what are we known for, what's the speech coming out of our mouth like. Um, and so I'm excited to jump into the text, and a, and a part of me is just praying like, Lord, obviously the hope is um, this is not just a message, but I hope it really influences and changes the way we pray, the way we approach God, what we even pray for. Paul shows us like, hey, I need prayer for this. And I also hope it changes how we just talk when the world hears us communicate. Do they see Jesus on our life? Like, do they see him in our tongue? Do they see him just coming out in kind of every area of our life? So why don't we just do this? We're going to read Colossians 4, uh, verse 2 through 6. Um, I actually thought this is like a little sidetrack. One author actually put this. I thought this was helpful. He kind of broke down the book of Colossians and he says, hey, chapter one to two is primarily Jesus is Lord. Chapter three is primarily Jesus is life. Chapter four, Jesus is leader. And I was like, oh, that's helpful. These are not the points today, but he's just kind of breaking up the book saying um, he's trying to lead every facet and area of your life and one being just your tongue. So let's read Colossians chapter four. Uh, let's pick up in verse two. 
Colossians 4, verse 2. Remember, he just talked about husbands, wives, your boss, all of that. And then he says in verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Verse five, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray, and uh, let's just give this time to the Lord. Let's do that. Again, Father, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that you do not just leave us um, in this unclear area of life. Lord, I ask um, that today, this morning, God, would you do something in us, in me, in us collectively, uh, when it comes to praying steadfastly, when it comes to actually approaching you. Lord, I ask that you would, um, I know all of us have maybe just a different view of prayer. Would you just do something fresh in us, God? Remind us of the weight of prayer. Remind us, God, of this is just how you effectively move throughout the earth is when your church gathers and prays and calls upon you. And so, Lord, we are, um, we are asking that you would give us a fresh vision of prayer and just remove any sense of um, frustration or maybe we're just disillusioned to just what prayer has been. Just do something fresh in us, Lord. God, I just ask for everyone in this place that you would put your words in their heart and in their mouth and that Jesus, um, as they go out, Lord, that they would walk wisely and their speech would be gracious, season the salt. So we ask them, Lord, that you just do this in us. We just want to thank you and praise your name. Amen. You guys probably know this proverb, but it's Proverbs 18, 21. He says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Man, the, the tongue is powerful. I know we know this, but it's crazy how with this little thing, right, um, we can bless, we can encourage, we can exhort, or you can just shred someone to pieces. It's crazy how this little thing, in James chapter three, obviously it's a book in the Bible or, past, or chapter in the Bible that deals a lot with the tongue. But he's like, he's like, this is one of the most powerful members of your body. You can bless and praise and sing to God and also curse your brother at the same time. The tongue is weird. Whenever I do uh, premarital counseling, we talk about like love languages. Sometimes we'll go through some of that and we talk about words of affirmation. And I just, I joke, and my wife knows this, I joke because I'm like, you know, my love language is words of affirmation, but I joke with her, it's tone of affirmation. I'm like, say something, tell me you don't like me, but just say it nice. Like, I just don't like you. Like, but you said it nice. You know, like that means so much to me. Um, words are powerful. And in all seriousness, you know, this is one of those things I'm like, you, you know, with and husbands and wives, you know this, your spouse can encourage you where you feel like, oh my gosh, I can do anything or I can't do anything. And this can happen in so many different facets of life. You know, it's crazy. Obviously, having young kids, and it's all over the place. It's like, you're the best at ever. And then next, you know, you're the worst at ever. You're like, how'd you, this five minutes later, what, what changed? But words, man, and it's powerful what it can do. It's powerful how it can lift you up and elevate and discourage you and break you down. And this is something I know we, I know we know this, but do we fathom this? Do we understand that when Jesus grabs hold of your heart, that's obviously going to affect your tongue? And I think one of the first things I even began to notice when I was like, all right, Jesus, I'm all in. I'd say first what I noticed primarily was like love for people I once hated. I'll say that God started to actually really do deep work in me and my tongue. I was like, this, those are some of the most noticeable things of just how you communicate. You know, I know we know the classic saying, and I don't know, it's something we've heard. Maybe we repeat, I don't know if you've even said it recently. Who did, I don't think people say this anymore, but sticks and stones may break, break my bones, but words may never hurt me. That idea. Uh, I remember like as a little kid, like we'd say that to each other. And then you'd like go in the, a room and somewhere else and just cry. You're like, you can't hurt me. Like, <laughs> like words hurt, man. We know that. And there's just something powerful about it. And Paul is basically in these verses dealing with the tongue horizontally or vertically and horizontally. <laughs> He's dealing with like how we talk to God and how we talk to others. And he's just saying, hey, when you pray, pray earnestly. Pray for us. Pray in this way. And be aware of your speech. How out, he literally says, he calls them outsiders. How people not a part of the church view you, view your tongue, view how you talk. They are listening. And so simply we're going to walk through our text today. And I just hope the Holy Spirit makes application in, my, in me and in you guys. But the points we're going to walk through is simple. It's how to talk to God and how to walk and talk to others. This is simply what he's walking us through. Here's how you talk to God. It's one of the how-tos. He even says how I ought to speak. 
and speak clearly, and then how you walk and talk towards the outsider, towards the other, and how they view us. So let's look again at verse two. Number one, we're going to do how to talk to God. Verse two, read again with me. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. That's how I do it. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. All right, so two different kind of versions of prayer that are being mentioned here. I'll put it this way. He talks about your personal prayer and then petitional prayer. Your personal prayer, he's like, you pray steadfastly. And he's like, and would you pray for us? Like petition, like pray on behalf of us, pray for us. Like how you pray for us, pray in this way. So let's kind of break it down that way. But here's like a personal prayer. Again, verse two, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Your translation might say, be devoted to prayer. Be steadfast in prayer. You know, we love to say, Christians love to say this classic one-liner, you know, Christianity, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. We're like, yeah, that's our go-to. But then when you like talk to people, like, do you talk to God? <laughs> well, not as much as I should. So what about this whole relationship thing? Because we, we like to boast in that. Hey, it's not a religious relationship. It's, a, it's not a religious relationship. But then you're going, but are we actually communicating with God, talking with God? How is that going? Like, let's be honest, prayer, man, it, there are seasons where you can be just invested in prayer. You feel like, man, I'm actually enjoying this conversation with God. I'm not just talking to him. I'm being still, and I feel like he's speaking back. And there's seasons like that. There's seasons where you go, man, this is, this is difficult. Sometimes it feels like I'm just talking out loud, and God, are you here? And sometimes you have to be very honest with your emotions. Prayer is very bizarre that way, where you feel like you can feel it sometimes. You don't. But Paul is basically saying, regardless, be steadfast. Give yourself over to this. It's not this emotional, did I hit that emotional feel or... He's just saying, this is something, this is a discipline you give yourself over to on the daily. I, Richard Foster wrote a really good book uh, on the spiritual disciplines, and here's what he said about prayer. He says, of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer is the most central because it ushers us into perpetual communion with the Father. Here's the idea. I, you know, the simple definition of what is prayer, it's communicating with God. Sometimes we can complicate it. It's talking with God, not just to God. There's an element of like, I'm going to speak and I'm going to listen. I'm going to talk and I'm going to be quiet. Maybe open up the word and let God speak back. But it's just communication. I mean, you guys know this. To have like a, a healthy, vital relationship with anyone, you have to talk. Like you kind of know your relationship's doing well if you're talking. Husbands, wives, you know this. Like if you're talking, right? We fall into this trap all the time. Like, hey, where do you want to go for dinner? I don't know. You choose. I'm like, I don't like that answer. Um, you're lying and you have a, an opinion. <laughs> and then you just name every restaurant ever in the whole world. And they're like, no, not that one. You're like, I don't, can you just talk to me? Like some, you know, that's sorry, that's a personal thing. Um, but you guys know, it's like the whole idea of just like talking, like communicate. You know, when we, we use these phrases like, oh, how's so-and-so? Like, you're like, I don't know, we've lost touch. What does that mean? We haven't talked in a while. Like we just, we have, I don't know how they're doing because there's been a lack of communication. The point is, like, to have, a healthy to have a healthy relationship, there has to be communication. There just has to be. You know, I, I think in the very beginning, in the garden, when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they sinned, and they're hiding, they cover themselves up in fig leaves, and you guys know the story, and, you know, God's walking through the garden, and, you know, not that he didn't know, but he asked, hey, where are you? And then basically they reveal themselves. It's not so much like, hey, they hid themselves from God, like, yes, but why? I think in many ways they were avoiding a, a conversation with God. They were avoiding, I don't want to talk to him about what we just did. They're avoiding prayer. They're avoiding talking with God. My thought, my question is, you know, are you avoiding right now a conversation with God? God's like, I just want to talk with you. And you're like, mm, I just don't want to deal with that right now, God. I don't think it's so much about hiding as much as like, I don't want to talk with him, meet with him. Here's the thing. Paul's saying, this is essential. Be devoted. Continue steadfastly in prayer. You can boast all day that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, but you have to be talking to God for that to be a real thing. Give yourself over to this. This has to be a part of your life on the daily. I understand there's certain thoughts around prayer that we do all struggle with. Does it work? Does it change things? And I think there's certain mindsets we have around it. I, I want to put it this way. Um, I, I know that most of us here could get better at prayer requests, but I think everyone could get better at prayer recording. Meaning, I think sometimes we do struggle with prayer because we don't remember all the things God has answered our prayers in. Like, I, I think that, yes, I know I could get better at just my ongoing communication with God. I know that all of us go, yes, I would like to, you know, but 
here's the truth is if we actually wrote down and remembered like I have been praying for this and God answered and did this I think if we began to see that more we go wait this thing that God asks us to do and invites us into actually does work I love what one author he called it he's like you build the altar God has to bring the fire you build the altar God has to bring the fire like I'm gonna pray and ask God God bring the fire like I'm gonna build but God you gotta do it and I think if we actually like recorded and wrote down all the, the ways and times in which God answered prayer, I think this would be one of those things we maybe get more excited about. You guys know the classic story, it's in, in Acts chapter 12, but I love this, Peter's in prison. It literally says this in Acts 12, uh, verse 5. It says, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Love that. He's in prison. And they're like, God, please deliver Peter. God, please bring him to us. And then he's released from prison. And I love this story. It's Acts 12, verse 14. And then Peter shows up at the house that's praying for him. And if you guys remember the story, Rhoda answers the door. It says in Acts 12, 14. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the door or the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. And yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. What does that even mean? It's his angel, it's not him. I would still answer the door if it's his angel. That's pretty cool. Now, Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. <laughs> they're like, what? I love this. It says they're in constant prayer for Peter. Like, oh, God, please deliver Peter. Please deliver Peter. Knock, knock, knock. Hey, it's Peter. No, it's not. Shut up. Let's go back to praying. God, please deliver Peter. <laughs> and they open the door. It's like, oh, it's you. Like, yeah. We're, this is us. Like, listen, this has just been within us for thousands of years. Like, we pray, but I don't, do we believe? Like, God, you're going to answer when you do answer. Like, we're expecting it. Maybe not how we want, not in the way we want, in the time we want, and obviously there's a lot of things around that. But I think what if we actually got together and prayed in a way where we go, no, we believe we serve a faithful God, that if we ask anything according to his will, his will, he hears us. And the, the scriptures talk about that way. God, we're asking for your will. We trust that you hear us. We trust that you're faithful. What if the church prayed in that way? He goes, pray steadfast, give yourself over to this. Pray. Talk to God in such a way. I love what John Wesley said. He says, God does nothing but an answer to prayer. If God does something, it's probably because of an answered prayer somewhere. I think there are so many prayers that are answered. We had like things happen in our life we had no idea that it's probably someone else praying for that for us. Probably for years even. And we're like, I'm just so glad God is so good. He worked it out. And you're like, little do you know that this person or this grandma or this mom or this person around the world this has been praying for you. God does nothing, he says, but an answer to prayer. David Mathis wrote something on the spiritual disciplines. He said, prayer for the Christian is not merely talking to God, but responding to the one who has initiated toward us. He has spoken first. This is not a conversation we start, but a relationship into which we've been drawn. His voice breaks the silence. <laughs> I love that. His, vo his voice breaks the silence. Then, in prayer, we speak to the God who has spoken. Our asking and pleading and requesting originate not from our emptiness, but his fullness. Prayer doesn't begin with our needs, but with his bounty. Its origin is first in adoration and only later in asking. And notice that. What does he say in our verse, in verse 2? He says, uh, we'll put them up here. He says, be watchful and in it with thanksgiving. So he says, continue in prayer, but be watchful and in it with thanksgiving. This is so important, I think, um, when it comes to prayer. It's very easy. You, you know what it's like to just have someone kind of only go to you when they have needs, and that can be exhausting. It's like, hey, I'll only talk to you when you have a need. And he's saying, no, when you approach God, be watchful and have this thankful spirit. Like, be, start with thankfulness. You know, it is Psalm 100, and it's a short psalm, and I'll put a few of the verses, but I love Psalm 100. It says, come into his presence with singing. Sometimes people do wonder, like, why do we start with singing? I don't know. Psalm 100 literally says, come into his presence with singing. There's something about that. There's something about, we just sing, man. We have something to sing about. We have something to celebrate. We have something to thank God for. And then he goes on and say, in verse 3 and verse 4, he goes, we enter his gates with thanksgiving, and we enter his courts with praise. And in that is the picture of the temple and the gate and the courtyard in which they'd walk in. And it's like, I'm going to enter God's presence with thanks. I'm going to be in his courts with praise. Thank him for what he's done. Praise him for who he is. And I think this is such a key element to prayer. It's not just, all right, let's go. I have my prayer requests, like list and needs. I would say it's so cool. Uh, Paul says this in Philippians 4. He says, yes, pray, be anxious for nothing, but all things supplication and prayer with thanksgiving. There's constantly this bookend idea of thanksgiving, like we're going to thank you, God. We're going to praise you. 
We're not going to go straight to, here's a list of our needs. We're going to close out with Thanksgiving. We're going to expect, God, that you're faithful. And if it doesn't go the way I want, I'm, that's good. I'm going to thank you for that. If it doesn't happen the way I thought it would happen, great, because your plans are way better. So regardless, I'm going to thank you. And so there's this that approach of Thanksgiving. He goes, be alert, be watchful in it with Thanksgiving. I love this watchful side too. You know, I, I was trying to think about that phrase because like, I want to sit in that. When we pray, he's like, be watchful, be watchful. I think one of the greatest examples of this is in Nehemiah chapter 4. If you guys remember the story, Nehemiah is going into Jerusalem to rebuild the city walls, to rebuild the city itself. As they're rebuilding the walls, uh, Sanballat and Tobiah are furious. They're frustrated. They don't want to see the Jews rebuild their city. And so they're, you know, hurling insults at them. They devise this plan. We're going to go in and cause chaos. And you see them, like, trying to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. They're like, no, we don't want to see this happen. Here's what it says in Nehemiah 4, verse 9. Nehemiah responds, we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection. I love that. We prayed and we watched. We prayed and we're on the lookout. You're thinking, okay, does this have any you know, practical application? What a beautiful thought. Pray and just be watchful. It's Elijah in some ways of praying on the mountain and looking up for the cloud. It's not there. Praying, looking up. Praying, looking up. It's praying and realizing you have an enemy who walks around like a roaring lion seeking who may he devour. It's just this idea of like praying and being ready of like, okay, Lord, I want to be ready for you to respond. I want to be ready for the enemy to sow seeds of discord as we do this. We're praying. We're watching. It's in Matthew 26. Jesus asked the disciples, he says, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Again, I don't always have this in my subconscious or my mind when I'm praying to pray and just be vigilant or be watchful, be alert, be aware. How does the enemy not want to thwart this? Why does Jesus say when you pray, you know, deliver us from the evil one? Just, he's like, there's this, this invitation to be watchful as we're praying, to be aware. And I think there's something just significant about that. I'm praying and I'm watching God to move, but I'm also aware that the enemy would love to thwart God's plans and God's work. So yeah, I love when Nehemiah says, we're going to pray, we're going to set a guard. We're going to pray and we're going to be alert. I think it's so cool when the church comes together and is praying for something specific, but you're also like, hey, how would the enemy love to destroy this? And how do we be aware of that and not let him creep in? How would the enemy love to come in and destroy your family, my family, our church, community, whatever? Like, how would he love to come in and thwart something God's doing? We're going to pray and we're going to be watchful. We're going to pray and re just be ready. When we start to see a certain spirit creep in, we're going to be like, no, this is not, this is not in God's house. Not this way. We're going to be like, no, we, we, we're going to pray and be watchful. Because be watchful and in it with thanksgiving. I just love the thought of like being more aware of our surroundings as we pray. Parents, we pray over our kids. Just more aware of like, Lord, do this in my son or do this in my daughter. And I know the enemy would love to do the opposite. And so I want to speak against that. And just even just fighting it in that way of, of prayer. Prayer really is always described in that just heavenly terms of just that battle of just wrestling against not flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. There's just this eternal battle thing going on. And so he, when Paul invites the church to pray, he goes, hey, be steadfast, be alert, be thankful. This is how we pray. We're thankful, we're alert, we're steadfast, we're given over to it. We're not just going to have prayer requests, we're going to have prayer recording. We're going to look back and be like, Lord, you've been so faithful to answer things. I, I, I'm so prone to forget. I'm so prone to not remember, but I'm going I'm to remember. And that's going to change how I pray next time. You guys follow me on this idea? I love what Paul is essentially giving us over. So you see this personal prayer, and then it's petitional prayer. Petitional prayer meaning, so Paul's like, this is how you pray, and here's what I'm asking you pray for us. So would you pray for us? And I love that Paul's inviting them, please pray for us. Here's what he asked for prayer, though. Look at verse 3. He says, pray also for us. That's, that's okay. By the way, it's okay to ask for prayer. Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. All right, this is different. Paul's like, hey, would you just pray for the word of God to go forth and be and just be out there? I'm in prison. Just pray that the word of God just, just goes. Okay, this is not my prayer request if I'm Paul. What's your prayer request? Hey, would you just pray for us that I would get out of here? I'd really love to not be in prison. I'd pray for, the, for me to get out. Pray for me to, to, go, to go out among you. He's like, pray for the word of God to go out. Isn't that so different? It's okay, by the way, if Paul asked for prayer to get out of prison, I'm not going to be like, shame on you, Paul. How dare you pray to get out of prison? Like, okay, if you're in prison and, and you, know, get out, you know, please pray for me to get out. Okay, that's great. I just think that Paul's mindset is so heavenly and so different. He's like, I'm in prison. I'm in chains as I'm writing this. This is one of the books Paul wrote when he's in prison. And he's like, I just want to make sure the word of God goes out. That's what I care about. And if that, you know, happens to be me being released, and that's how the word of God gets out, that's great. But I just love how Paul's like, you know, just pray that the word of God clearly goes out. 
that'd be amazing. It's, we quoted this verse at the beginning of the series, but um, Paul wrote this in 2 Timothy 2.9 very similarly. He says, I suffer, suffer, as a, as, uh, I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. I love this about Paul. Paul's like, I'm in prison, I'm chained, but the word of God is not chained. What a powerful thought. Throughout the ages, throughout the centuries, throughout the years, I mean, people have thrown Christians into prisons, to jails, fed them to lions, burned their books, killed their family in front of them. The word of God is not chained. Paul's like, you can chain me up all day long. It's not going to stop the word from going out. Like we know that historically, it's usually when the church has been in chains or suffered, the word of God goes out more effectively. It's led to life change and transformation in individuals' lives. And I love this. Paul's like, you know what? Even though I'm chained, the word of God cannot be chained. And we just pray that God, that the word of God would go out. What a different take. Just pray that this would go out and go out clearly. Paul um, prays something similar, by the way, in Ephesians 6. And I want to put it up here because I think this is significant. In Ephesians 6, verse 19, Paul says, Pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He says the same thing here, but here's the fascinating thing to me. He's saying, I need boldness in preaching. Would you pray for boldness in preaching? Paul's praying and asking for boldness in preaching. I think Paul's pretty bold, right? Listen, if Paul needs prayer to communicate the word of God boldly and effectively, how much more us? Like, meaning, it's just why I go, Paul, I'm pretty sure you're bold. That's why you're in prison. Like, I'm pretty sure you, you got it, buddy. You got that one down. He's like, would you just pray, though, for me to be more bold as I speak forth the word of God? Would you pray, even ask for the clarity of the word? There is this weird balance to me in scriptures because Paul's like, um, we do not come with the wisdom of words, but in demonstration and power of the Spirit. Pa- Paul was very clear, like, God did a work because of the Holy Spirit, not because of how creative or clever I was. People do not come to Christ because of his wittiness or, look how great I am with my words, my wordsmith. Paul's like, if people got saved, it's because of the demonstration and power of the Spirit. However, Paul's also recognizing, acknowledging the fact that he needs to speak forth the Word of God clearly. And he's like, would you pray that this is clear? Would you pray that I could declare the mystery of Christ? Remember the mystery of Christ? We talked about this in chapter one primarily. The mystery of Christ is what the fact that Gentiles are part of the church, that the gospel is not just for the Jew only, but also for the Greek. That's part of the mystery of Christ. And the mystery of Christ, he mentioned, was how Christ lives in us, the hope of glory. That Christ is just also in us. So it's that the Gentiles, man, God did this great work. Like Jesus was a Jew who filled the Jewish scriptures, and yet all these Gentiles were getting saved. And... That not only that, but he actually lives in us. And they never expected the Messiah to live in us. As Ephesians 3.20, Christ who dwells in your hearts richly through faith. And that was just part of this mystery. And Paul's like, I want to make sure I communicate that clearly. Would you pray for boldness and clarity of that? One of say this, church, I think one of the best things we could pray for, it's not just, by the way, this pulpit. That's, I'm talking about everyone here ever, is Lord, wherever I go, I want to speak your word boldly and clearly. Let me not get lost in ridiculous conversations that will add no profit, no gain. People who want to sidetrack us, well, what about this? I want to bring it back to the person of Jesus. Um, I, gotta, I want to make sure I'm aware. Of how, okay, I had a conversation with my, my neighbor this week, and it was awesome. I went to go take the dog to the, the bathroom, and it turned into an hour and a half. And it was an amazing conversation, and he just, it started off, he, he literally just goes, um, I, gotta, I just love this neighbor. All right, he's, he lives like story, awesome Australian dude, he has a voice. Forgive me if I try to mimic it, but he had like a throat voice. He's like, yo, Josiah, gotta get your take on something. And I'm like, yeah, hit me, man. It's pretty good. Okay, it's pretty good, actually. He's like, gotta get your take. He's like, what do you think, what's going on with Israel and Palestine? And I'm like, oh gosh, here we go. So we start talking. But like after this conversation, like, you know, I don't want to say somehow, I don't know. Somehow, it just goes to the person of Jesus, how he's the hope for, for everyone. And I just said, I wish everyone would just reconsider their take on Jesus. And we're talking about, our, you know, our take on him. And I'm like, would you reconsider your take on Jesus? You know I'm not going to do that. I'm like, all right. <laughs> but... I was like, would you read this book? No, but that's all I love is talking to you. I love it. I'm like, okay, great. It's pretty good again. Um, it's, probably, it's probably awful. But it was such a cool conversation. It's like, I could tell that we want to get lost. And like, he's trying to throw in different questions and comments that I think we're like, how do we make this political? Or how do we make it this? Some, and I'm like, I want to do my best of my ability to answer that. But however, I don't want to lose sight of what the ultimate goal is. And that's to win you to Jesus. And it's like, I love this prayer from Paul. Paul's like, would you pray for me that we could speak more boldly and just more clearly? I want it to be clear. Again, if you look at the end of this verse, verse 4, he says that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. That I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. It's funny, just growing up, maybe, um, when you really start to believe and go, Jesus, I'm all in, 
And sometimes at first, there's maybe a fear of, I don't want to say the wrong thing, or I don't want to, and we have, I've talked to so many people who maybe don't share their faith, like, I don't know enough, or I don't want to mess it up. And it's like, I don't know, man. The disciples messed it up, and Jesus used them. Satan's called, like, or Satan, Peter is called, you know, uh, you, man, flesh and blood has not revealed this to my Father in heaven, and then one minute later, he's like, get behind me, Satan. Like, my point is being like, I don't think you can mess it up. I think we're just to sow the seed, just throw it out there and let God do what he's going to do. But my point is like, listen, you know, you know more than 99% of the world about Jesus and his word. If you've been here for a little while following Jesus, just have this confidence. Like wherever you walk, I remember a pastor one time sat me down when I was like 19. It was like, Josiah, you walk into a Walmart, not to build you up in an arrogant way, but you probably know more than you realize. You probably know 99% more about the Bible than you do that anyone else in that story. And I'm like, I don't feel that way. He's like, I know. Do you know that Jesus died for you? forgave you, took your place, rose again. If you believe on him, you'll have everlasting life. I'm like, yeah. It's like, you know more than like <laughs> everyone. The point being like, you have a message to share. You have something to give. And sometimes we can complicate it. And sometimes we go, well, what about this? Just bring it back to the person of Jesus and the resurrection specifically. I beg you to bring it back to the person of Jesus and who he is and what he's done and specifically the resurrection. And Paul's just saying, you know, guys, would you pray for boldness and clarity? What a great prayer request. I need boldness, I need clarity. A few different guys wrote about this, and I thought it was fascinating. Uh, R.C. Sproul one time said, I use big words to disguise my ignorance. <laughs> big words are great for that. If I can use a word that nobody understands, chances are people will think that at least I understand what I'm talking about, even if they don't. <laughs> it's so true. Sometimes you go, wow, that person's really smart. And it's like, can they effectively communicate the gospel, or are they just trying to sound and be viewed a certain way? Uh, it was uh, C.S. Lewis who says, any fool can write learned language. Their vernacular is the real test. If you can't turn your faith into it, then you either don't understand it or you don't believe it. Just can you clearly communicate the word of God? Just clearly, here's what Paul says. Don't be deceived by the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. There's a beautiful simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. God is not trying to trick anyone into heaven. God is not trying to make it difficult for anyone. God is trying to make it so clear. So, and I do think that people try to make the Bible gray when it's way more black and white than we realize. I think, that people, I think there's a, a fight to make it gray because we like to live in ambiguity. But I do think there's something beautiful when you say, no, no, Jesus is life. And if you believe on him, you will have life. And if we, however you want to phrase, however you want to put it, but just get that some simple gospel truth in your heart. Believe on him and you will be saved. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is the Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. However you want to just make it, just, the, the idea is pray for that boldness and that clarity. Paul is saying, hey guys, when you talk to God, talk to God with thanksgiving. Talk to God earnestly. Talk to God being watchful and pray for us in this way. So the first part is how to talk to God. The second part now is how do we talk to others? So let's look at verse five. Number two, uh, how to walk and talk with others. Verse five, he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. All right, verse five. Let's just start here. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Um, you guys know this. The world is watching, right? We know like the world's watching us. That's funny. I was talking about this. Let's, buddy, can, I, can I tell you this story? Can I do that? Thanks, bud. That's uh, <laughs> good. No, but when I was, so when I worked at the gym, it's funny how I was 18 years old working at a gym, and like, after like two months, one of the like 22-year-old bros kind of pulls me aside and says, hey, why don't you swear? I'm like, hey, I don't even think about it. How did you notice that, by the way? You know, and then he's like, he's like, just say it. And he starts naming words. Just say it. Say it right now. And I'm like, I'm okay. You know, I don't need to. I think there's other words I could use. Um, I'm not as angry as you are right now. And he was like, just kind of going off. And I'm like, I just, I truly don't feel the need to. And he was just, it's just funny to me. I'm like, that's what he picked up on. It's like, why don't you swear? And then, you know, give you a chance to talk a little bit. Uh, I was talking to my buddy here earlier. And he, you know, by the way, Khalil just got married. Yeah, Minnelli, we got married. Uh, so sweet. But I love this story, dude. I'm so sorry to be in the spot. <laughs> but it's so good. He's like, he shared with his coworkers. He told me right before service, he's like, man, listen, I, um, I was going up to uh, New York for Thanksgiving. And I was telling my boss. And he goes, oh, you and your girlfriend or fiance are going to New York for Thanksgiving. And you're going to be in the same room, are you? He's like, well, actually, we're married now. And he's like, oh, congratulations. And they didn't tell him. They're like, oh, congratulations. Celebrate that. But I'm like, man, isn't that fascinating? That they know you're engaged and you're going to stay in the same room and you're traveling together. I thought you were a Christian. Like those are the comments being made. And it's fascinating. I bring that up to say we know the world is watching. And, and it's not one of those things to like that means we have to fake something. No. 
hopefully the gospel of Jesus has so radically moved in your life. It's not like I always walk in on eggshells mentality. It can't be that either. But it has to be this awareness that the world is looking and ready to go, see, see, that's why I'm not. And I would say this, walk wisely, walk circumspectly, making the best use of your time. Be aware that as soon as you put, you know, some Christians put Christian in their bio and then you see their stuff and you're like, you're not, don't do that. Just please remove Christian. Like, go ahead, but just remove it. The, the, the point is, it's like, it's crazy. The, as soon as you just even say, listen, I believe in Jesus. Now, we're not saying that you have to, I think part of the conversation with people is acknowledging, yes, I am a sinner saved by grace. I'm still a sinner saved by grace. I still need this grace saved, but it's not an excuse to not walk circumspectly or wisely. So there is this balance. I can invite people into that conversation of, yeah, welcome. The, the church is a bunch of sick, sinful people in need of healing and in need of Jesus. And you are welcomed here. Absolutely. But we also can't like, we can't dishonor or really reject Jesus in our life. Lifestyle. Titus says, you profess to know God, but in your works you deny him. And he's like, ah, let it not be so among you. We can't just profess, but in your works deny him. So Paul is saying, walk circumspectly. Be aware. You know, I, had a, I thought this was a funny story, and from my understanding, this is a true story. Warren Wearsby wrote about this pastor. His name was Dr. Will. I can't say the last name. Uh, Dr. Will came from a church out of New York City, and he was going to a church in Atlanta. And this is a true story that as he moved to the area, moved to the city, there was like a wealthy guy in Atlanta who just, he's like, oh, these pastors are just hypocrites playing this game, whatever. And he actually hired an investigator to follow him around for a few weeks. And he, the investigator goes back to him and says, all right, what do you, like, what do you got on Dr. Will? He asked the investigator, and he goes, like, nothing. Like, this guy loves his family, loves his wife, talks to people about Jesus, meets with people, works in his office, and goes home. Nothing? Like, nothing. And then the guy told this pastor, hey, just so you know, I knew you're new to the town, and uh, I hired an investigator to follow you around. Please don't do that, by the way. I hired an investigator to follow you around, and, and you know what? I thought all of you Christians were a bunch of phonies. I thought all of you were a bunch of fakes, and you seem to be the real deal. Like, let's talk. And as awful as that story is, that guy ended up believing in Jesus. Now, I didn't, yeah, that's more reason telling this story. The, the funny thing is, I'm like, man, people go to extremes to try to go, where is the inconsistency in your life? And where can I justify my lifestyle by pointing out your hypocrisies? And I, I obviously don't encourage that, but my point is, hey, just church, be aware. We are a city on a hill. We are supposed to be the salt of the earth. Walk wisely, walk circumspectly, making the best use of your time. I just love that. I'm not going to harp too much on this because right before we started this book in Colossians, I did a message on time. And you guys know I'm in this weird <laughs> mindset right now of like everything sentimental to me. I'm like, <laughs> last time there'll be eight and four and one. I don't know. I'm just in this weird like space of like, like chill out. I know. But this idea of like redeem the time because the days are evil. That's just Paul's like, listen, we got to make the most of our time. We have to redeem it. We have to say, listen, there is a real enemy who would love to see many people not know Jesus or follow Jesus or walk with Jesus or believe in Jesus. You are the salt of the earth. Walk wisely. Win people to Jesus. Redeem that time. My point of bringing this up, by the way, do you not see the sense of earth? Paul's basically saying throughout this, pray for our boldness in evangelism and be aware of your outside reputation. Paul is so concerned for the outsider and so concerned for the lost. When I think sometimes we as the church or in the church, we lose sight of Paul's emphasis of like winning the lost to Christ. Like this was his focus. His whole point is like, do this because we want lost people to know Jesus. Pray for boldness, pray for clarity. Be aware that people are watching and we want them to know him. And this is like, you see the evangelistic heart of Paul. It's unbelievable to me. Walk in wisdom. Douglas Moo said, wisdom will enable us to determine just how, in given situations, our new way of thinking, our new set of biblical values should be put into effect. It just gives us that new way of living. The new way of saying, I, I, would, care, I would respond this way, talk this way, act this way, but now I have this wisdom that God has, has given me. How do you get wisdom? James 1 says, ask for it. If any of you lack it, ask for it, and God gives to it liberally and freely. You lack wisdom, ask for it. We need, we need as a church to be wise in a world that is just looking for us to fail and walk wisely, circumspectly, making the best use of your time. Romans 13, 11 says, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep for our salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. You know the time, listen to that, you know the time, he goes, wake up, stop being asleep, church. If a church could wake up to that reality, that our time is limited, the season of life you're next to that neighbor, that coworker, it's very limited. 
and you have these gospel moments to introduce to them the person of Jesus and his kingdom. Make the most of that time. Again, if you would look at verse uh, 6, because this is kind of how he closes out, but verse 5 and verse 6, we'll pick it up kind of at the end of verse 5. He says, walking wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. His focus is the outsiders. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. This is so important. This is a verse I would encourage you guys just to get it ingrained in your heart. This was a life-changing verse for me, and I truly mean that. Like, I, I, mean, I told you one of the first things I noticed the change in my life was how I loved my enemy and how I spoke about my enemy. I Meaning, like, one of the first things I noticed was, um, oh, wow, the, the things I would say behind closed doors, I feel gross doing that now as a follower of Jesus. And I can't talk that way. And I can't act that way. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Like, what does that mean? Let's talk about gracious speech. I think it's actually really important. I think the church, we could be better at being more winsome, be more gracious. I think there's a way to call out sin that we can do it in a way that Jesus has done it and gave us great examples of. I think there's a way to be gracious, and yet when he says season with salt, there's a lot of disagreement on what season with salt means. I'd bring out a couple of points to, to look at this. Um, some say that salt, according to like the Levitical offerings, spoke of holiness, which I actually do agree. That salt was a way to show, like, okay, you put maybe salt part of the offering in some capacity, and the salt speaks of just holiness. So I'm going to be gracious and holy. I think that's true. I think salt is something that, obviously, uh, if you have salt, it can enhance a flavor. Too much can also just make it, like, I can't eat this, you know? Uh, I would say that salt, in my opinion, is a great example of truth. It says in John 1.17 that when they saw Jesus, he was full of what? He was full of grace and truth. I love that. When they saw Jesus, what was he full of? You're full of grace and truth. What a unique combination in the church. I think that you can have the church that tries to speak gracious, but yet they neglect the truth, and they're missing out on actually people crossing over from death to life because they're not speaking truth. They're maybe pandering. They're maybe watering down. You have the church that speaks truth, and you realize, but there's no grace, and Jesus was full of grace. And I think that sometimes you can have in the church this idea of like, they speak grace only or they speak truth only. And I love that Jesus is full of both grace and truth. And he says, let your speech be gracious. A little seasoned with salt. Remember that guy? I don't know. Seasoned with salt. I don't even know what I'm talking about. But it's like the little salt. He's like, it needs to be gracious. It needs to be seasoned. Seasoned with salt. How do we do that? I think this is part of the wisdom thing. This is part of the Holy Spirit thing. This is part of the, hey, Lord, right now this person's coming to me. I don't want to shy from truth, but I want to make sure your love is felt and seen all over this. There's a few moments in my life where I remember, like, I, I've been talking to someone about Jesus, and it was a kind of argumentative. I specifically have in mind this one time I was talking to this homeless guy trying to share the love of Jesus with him. Somehow, like, turns into an argument, and the Lord's like, what are you doing? Like, you literally brought this guy a meal, and now you're just arguing with him. I'm like, yeah, I kind of look like a psychopath. So I was like, in like, the middle, I'm like praying, like, God, God, change this dramatically. And I remember, like, God was so good in that conversation to change the tone. I apologize. go, hey, I'm sorry. I, I, I want to come here and tell you about the love of Jesus, and I have not represented that well. And like in the middle of the conversation, I had to just stop and go, can I just tell you? And then it was one of the just coolest responses I've ever seen. Because I realized, like, this is not, <laughs> this is not my speech being with grace. Season with salt. Um, I don't know why. I'll share this story. This is very random and weird, and I shared this with my wife. Immediately, um, I was at the gym a couple weeks ago. This is a true story. And it's going to sound weird to you, just like it was weird to me. I was at the gym a couple weeks ago, and I walk into the room, the room where you can just like, I don't know, it's like open space, right? And I don't know if there's rooms like that. There's, there's no weights. You can do push-ups, lunges, whatever. You, can, you have more space. I'm trying to act like I work out, but I don't. Um, but there's just an open room, and I go in there, and it's one of those rooms where the lights can turn on and off after like a timer. Maybe you know what I'm talking about, maybe not. So I'm in the room, lights turn off, and I just had this feeling like, this is going to be, this is weird. I don't know. This woman opens the door, and I, in a moment, I had that feeling of like, this is going to be weird. Like the Lord's like, be aware, be wise. And like, go with it. <laughs> all right? That, I don't know how to explain it. I'm like, all right. She opens the door. She walks in. I'm sitting there in this room, and I am alone. And she got, sat next to me, and I scooted over. I go, hi. Can I help you? And she goes, hey, I, can I run a situation by you? And I don't know. I'm like, uh. And before I can even answer, she goes, so let me tell you what's going on in my life. <laughs> and so this really happened. Like, she goes, hey, and this is the this story's bizarre, right? Um, she goes, hey, so I'm married, but I've been seeing this other guy for many years. And um, about eight years now, and I actually wrote the story down immediately and called my wife immediately, just so you guys know. I've been seeing this guy for about eight years. And all of a sudden, he broke off with me, doesn't want to talk to me anymore. And she starts swearing. I just think that's, you know, and I think it's wrong of him to cut it off with me. What do you think? Swear to you. Now, also, one day I have this feeling, I'm like, I do feel like she, it's almost like a weird, I don't want to say grooming. It's just a weird, like, I feel like she was trying to make, I don't know, it just felt wrong. Weird. 
And I said, hey, what's your name? <laughs> and I said, my name, it's just because it happened. I said, my name's Josiah. And I go, I probably have an answer you're not going to like. And then you see her face drop. She's, well, I came to you. Go ahead. And I said, so, let me just tell you, I am a pastor. <laughs> I promise. And she goes, ugh, right? And I go, so I do have a different take. You said you were married? Yeah, for eight years. Yeah. Your husband, I'm guessing, doesn't know about this. Well, he kind of knows the person. I go, well, you asked me my take. And so I share my take. <laughs> I, say, I say, hey, I, and I said her name. I go, I don't think it's a coincidence. Maybe you had different reasons why you came, why you wanted to talk to me. I go, I don't know. But however, I do know there's a God who loves you and sees you, and you have a moment right now to change the course of your life. And what you're doing right now, I would highly encourage, maybe you don't want to go to your husband, maybe you don't want to talk to him, but I need you to go to talk to your husband. Maybe if you need a third party there, maybe you go to counseling. I'd recommend this other, church, this other church. I did. But I recommended this other church nearby that has a great counseling session. Don't judge, all right? Trust me, it's way better that way. And so I recommended this church nearby that has a great counseling. I'm like, I think if you, you need to go there and talk to them. And she goes, it's funny you recommend that church. I used to go there about 10 years ago. And I go, wow, that's so great. Um, I'm like, and I know they would welcome you back with open arms. And I would highly encourage that you do not, do not wait. And um, she goes, you know, and she swears. And she goes, of course, I ran to a, you know, Lincoln pastor. And I'm like, yeah, you know, that is ironic. I'm not going to lie. Um, and, and then I said, I'm like, hey, listen, like, I really don't know, again, why you approached me, why you felt the need to share this with a stranger. Um, and it's just one of those things where I just felt like the Lord was like saying to her, like, I see you in the intent, and you were hoping maybe this would go in a certain direction. And um, I'm not going to allow that. And this guy, rather than just saying, how dare you, you sinful woman, sleep with your husband, I can't believe, I, I try, I just be like, I, you need to reveal truth to your hu husband, of course, um, but you need to know that Jesus sees you and loves you, and you have a chance, I think, to find redemption, even though there will probably be a lot of pain for a while, but there will be a lot of beauty if you allow that to happen. And that was really our, that was truly our conversation. I wrote it down immediately, because I just want to document everything, and I called my wife, and I was like, hey, this is a weird story. And I feel that it, I share that with you, because I don't know, I don't my mind was like, this is a weird story, and I don't know, what do I do with this one? Um, it's just like a reverse John 4, woman at the well thing, and I was like, Lord, I'm so glad that um, you're so good. I'm so glad that um, this is weird and bizarre to me, and this was, a, I don't know, just funky. I'm like, but God, I, I just, I've been praying for that woman, like, a couple times, like, the last couple of weeks, I'm just like, Lord, speak to her, meet her, redeem her. Um, I'm, I'm sure with you publicly, I know that sounds weird, but that's just a story to kind of relay the truth of there's an opportunity to, to in a sense, be gracious and not speak truth, or speak truth and not be gracious. And I don't know how I walked that line. I probably could have done some things better, I'm sure. But in my mind, I walked away grateful, going, Lord, I just hope that she, like, this sounds weird. I was walking in my car. I saw her, like, wandering the parking lot, like, grabbing her head like this. Um, and I'm like, <laughs> literally going to my car, going, all right, Lord, uh, I ask that you would just do something that only you can do. And I pray that your love would overwhelm her, because there's probably a lot of condemnation right now. And I ask that your love would just overwhelm her. And it's just one of those things or moments where I'm like, Lord, thank you that, I don't know, as weird as it was and it happened, I'm like, all right, I need to somehow speak truth and grace in a weird moment. And that is just one example of, I think, many you will have in life where you'll meet with people and you're like, I can either shy away from the hard thing or I can be just only affirming. And I'll say the gospel of Jesus and who Jesus is, he's full of grace and truth. And what, a, can I tell you, we need both. We need both. I've been around people who are only truthful, and it's like their like, version of truth, and it's like, ah, but it's, and it's just very angry, mean, and I've been around people who are gracious, but will never say the hard thing, will never speak truth, and I do think salt is also that healing kind of thing, and they need, we need truth for there to be healing. And so I would say this, church, we have an opportunity with our tongue, and Paul is saying, hey, hey, Colossae, when you pray, when you talk to God, this is how you talk. Thanksgiving, being alert, pray for these things. Hey, when you talk to others, walk circumspectly, walk wisely. Let your speech, speech be with grace seasoned with salt so that you might know how to answer. It goes back to evangelism. If there's anything I can share with you, and this is that Paul modeled this so well, and I think the church struggles with this and can also abuse this idea or this verse, but I think that we shy away from it as well. Here's the verse. It's 1 Corinthians 9. Paul says, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share, that I may share with them in its blessings. He goes, I have become all things to all men. Why? So they might be one to Jesus. Not so that he can just be a chameleon and fit in and, you know, shy away from truth. The goal was to win people to Jesus. The goal was, I want to, to the Jew, I'm a Jew, to the Greek, I'm a Greek. I want to speak to them and meet them where they're at. I want to love them where they're at. 
not so that they don't know where I stand and I can just live in this vagueness. No, but so I can win them ultimately to Christ. And I want to find some sort of common ground. And I would say this church, we have an opportunity when there's people going around right now, whether it's social media or in the world, you see like the Westboro Baptists who are just so hateful in their speech and so not Jesus and that's so not the church. And then you also see people that affirm everything and never challenge, never call to light or never call to repentance. And let it not be so of us. Let us be gracious, but seasoned with salt. Amen? Here's what we are going to do. I think the only way to appropriately respond to this is a couple of things with our tongue. <laughs> so meaning this, we are going to worship and I'm going to ask a couple of our key leaders, and you know who you are, if you would come to the front during worship, and if you would like prayer, we'd love to pray with you. If you would like to sit there, if you'd like to sit there and talk to God, sit there and talk to God. But we're just going to end with song. We enter his presence with singing. We're just going to talk to God with song. We're going to praise him. We're going to worship him, and we're going to pray. And if there are some things you need to be in prayer over right now, if you're like, God, I just need to surrender this this morning. This has taken that place in my life. I just want to invite you into that. So why don't you just do this? Why don't you just bow your head for a second, close your eyes, take a deep breath. Just say, Lord, speak. Your servant listens. We just want to respond by hearing. We want to respond by communicating, confessing. And just give some God, give God some time just to move and work. Father, we just want to say thank you so much that you invite us to prayer. You tell us to pray. That, God, you, you tell us if we ask anything according to your will, you hear us. Lord, I just want to ask that you would, right now, even though this is different maybe, would you just bring healing and restorations, Jesus, to relationships this holiday season? God, for family members that are not talking, not communicating, angry, bitter, Jesus, for, for friends that maybe we haven't spoken to in a while, I ask for restoration, Jesus. Lord, I, I want to just ask that marriages, that you would be the center of our marriages, Lord, of our families, of our kids. Lord, I just ask that um, your Holy Spirit would equip us, would empower us to live out this life. Lord, I want to ask that you would do something in our hearts um, that would affect our tongue. We so believe and know that it is out of the abundance of the heart our mouth speaks. And so, Lord, we ask that, Jesus, you would first do something to our hearts. That, Lord, the Christians who say they're a Christian and then talk like everyone else in their daily life, let it not be so. God, I ask that you would change speech today, but ultimately by changing hearts. Change our tongue, the way we talk to you, the way we talk to others. Lord, we just ask that it be deeply rooted, that you do something deep within us, Lord. And so we thank you. We thank you that you can give us a new heart. So I ask that you would do that, Lord. Um, God, I just ask that this time of worship, of prayer, of calling upon you, God, this is not um, only sinful or bad people need prayer. Lord, we need it. I need it. We all need it. I ask that you would turn this place into a house of prayer and into a house of worship now. So we just want to thank you. We just want to praise you, Jesus, in your name.